The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. A big day today. Why GameStop has an obsession with Amazon, plus some news from Microsoft that Ryan Cohen is not going to like. Then, if you can take the heat, get out of the App Store. Creators feeling the pressure from Tim Cook and are fighting back. And then later... Put a sock in it. Bill Ackman makes a pitch to retail investors deep. <laughs> he does indeed. Also ahead this hour, PayPal Mafia member Max Levchin as his company Affirm announces a partnership with Spotify this morning. Plus, the tech stocks to watch this AM as the street makes calls on Clover Health, Zoom, Fastly, ServiceNow, and more, John. Yeah, but first, some news out of Microsoft that can only be bad for GameStop. Announcing Xbox is actively working with TV manufacturers to embed a cloud-based gaming experience into smart televisions with no additional hardware needed to play outside of a controller. Basically a Netflix for gaming and a development that could push gaming business beyond the console. And that could make GameStop in particular, despite its relatively strong earnings last night, look more and more like blockbuster video as Ryan Cohen and company continue to rely on sales of hardware, either in-store or online, not software, to supply growth, Carl. What, what we've increasingly seen happen is whether you're talking about Microsoft or Amazon or, I mean, down the line, Google, others moving to this streaming model for gaming, trying to bring it to the cloud, that cuts out the middleman. I mean, look, look at Unity. Uh, look at uh, what, what we've seen Tim Sweeney doing also with Epic. I mean, all of this is fitting into this new gaming economy, which would be bad for GameStop. They get cut out. Uh, it's true, and it's part of the reason we've spent part of the morning, D, talking about the street's reaction to Ryan Cohen's memes. Uh, Webb Bush and Baird at least saying, look, they've gotten you this far, and that's great, and you have very little debt, and you've raised some money, and you got an enthousi- enthusiastic uh, shareholder audience, but... It's not enough. Uh, as, as Baird said, ga- memes are not dog food and investors deserve more uh, in order to put a long term valuation on your business model. OK, well, let me put this out there then. If I'm trying to think like a Reddit investor, is this necessarily bad? I mean, GameStop, its whole transformation isn't built on it being a middleman necessarily. It's built on increasing its software, its e-commerce service. So if Microsoft speeds up this sort of shift to the metaverse and GameStop is able to position itself for that next era. Could this be a benefit, John? Look at its collectibles business up 91% in the past quarter. And they said that they want to go into NFTs. NFTs will likely be needed in a future metaverse, something that Microsoft is going to be selling. That's not going to be left behind. I mean, how many Funkos do you have to sell to make up for the margin that you miss from selling a $500 Xbox. Like, if you're not selling the Xbox and then people aren't coming in and getting loyalty to to buy games because they're streaming them directly from their TVs, that's bad. You, you, You become either Blockbuster or Quickster, 
right? I mean, because remember, well, <laughs> Netflix had what? that e-commerce business and before and, and, and went direct. Uh, th that's GameStop's future unless they figure out some way to get into the business that, I don't know, AppLovin' okay. is in, that Unity is powering. And right now, based on what they've said so far, I don't see it. Okay, then let me, and I'm just playing devil's, ar ar devil's advocate. The devil I'm needs a page an advocate this morning, hand, yeah, go for John, it. John, <laughs> there we go. Okay, I'll, I'll go for it. Why can't it be an Amazon? I know a lot of <laughs> the believers, the hodlers will say this, but Amazon started with books and transformed its business. And I know we hear this from many, many companies, large and small, that they have an Amazon-like model to justify huge losses or businesses that aren't yet growing at the pace they think they should. But just saying, the gaming industry is ripe for this kind of disruption. We talk about it all the time. Amazon now has, I mean, sorry, GameStop now has capital behind it. Ryan Cohen, as well as a bunch of Amazon executives. Why can't they make that transition? I think the question would be, can they create their own cloud gaming platform? Do they need to become a gaming studio? Do they need to become like a, a Zynga, <laughs> right? Or, or a Jam City? I mean, if they can become a game publisher somehow, and make money on that end of it, if they can assemble gamers on their platform and leverage yeah. them, if they can become like a Discord, then I see that argument. But that's, that's not e-commerce. Now that's you're not thinking like a Reddit it, investor. You know, Dee, it's interesting. <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting to see whether this Amazon diaspora that has migrated to uh, GameStop is going to be the version of Frasier after Cheers or after MASH after MASH, because those were two very different stories. <laughs> I... I have to say, I don't really understand either of those metaphors, oh, I was but I know you were where you're going say with that. it. Yeah, the I was Canadian thing. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. Well, keep, keep them coming, though. Keep them Not coming. Not just I'll do Canadian. My research. Uh, we will continue. A different generation than we are, in a way, Carl. <laughs> at least half generation. <laughs> I, I will look that up, though. Uh, meantime, guys, moving on. Apple finding some new critics, this time from content creators. Fanhouse founder Jasmine Rice. She went full attack mode on Twitter last night, calling Apple's commission fee, quote, theft and exploitation. Other companies like Cameo also joining in. And there is, of course, Epic Games, which is suing Apple over the fees that it charges within the App Store. Apple insists that this is just the cost of doing business and keeping a safe marketplace intact. And we have had several high-profile CEOs take Apple's side on this program. Here's Snap's Evan Spiegel with us just a few weeks ago. Snapchat wouldn't exist without the iPhone and without the amazing platform that Apple has created. And so in, in that sense, I'm not sure we have a choice about uh, paying the 30 percent uh, fee. And, you know, of course, we're, we're happy to do it in exchange for all of the amazing technology that they provide to us in terms of the software, but also in terms of their hardware advancements. Then there is Unity CEO and former EA chief John Riccatello. Have a listen. I know this is hard to reconcile, but we're actually really friendly with Epic and Tim and the team there, and we're friendly with Apple. They're an important business partner to us. The second thing I think is step back for a moment from the perspective of the app stores. That 30% take rate across the range, pretty much every app store is at about a 30% take rate from the console companies to PC distribution stores and the app stores. And now we're going to hear from the other side, here to break it all down, two critics of Apple's App Store, FanHouse co-founder and content creator, who I just mentioned, Jasmine Rice, and Cameo CEO, Stephen Galanis. Uh, good morning to you both, and thank you for being here. Good morning. Hey, thank you for us. 
to Spiegel's point, and Jasmine, I'll go to you first, would FanHouse exist in its current form without the App Store? Uh, I, I think this is tricky here. It's yes and no. Uh, directly to your question, current form, no, right? A lot of our creators rely on this app to be able to connect to their fans, to be able to sell their content to their fans, and to be able to make an income, because uh, we know everyone is on their phones. And without being on the App Store, this would hurt creators' revenues for sure. Okay, Steven, same question to you. Would Cameo exist in its current form without the App Store? Yes, it would. Uh, and interestingly, Cameo today, over 80% of our revenue comes from web versus app. Part of the reason is, like Jasmine, we were actually kicked out of the App Store for three years ago. And you know, in our business, we have a 25% take rate. So effectively, what's happening is any cameos that are built on that are booked on iOS, the creator is getting 52 and a half percent. Cameo makes less than Apple from Cameo's business. The big issue here is that if Apple continues these policies, it's really putting a tax on creators. Imagine if Uber drivers or Airbnb hosts had to pay a 30% take rate for their physical labor. The big difference that Apple had looked at digital creators, they really thought that this was a digital good, like a coin in the game where there's no marginal cost. But on, on this side, this is real people doing real work. And as you're seeing, a lot of the biggest platforms in the creator economy, a lot of the real work now is happening on web. You look at companies like OnlyFans or Patreon, Twitch, most of revenue is coming from web. So if Apple continues this, the big issue they're going to have is that the creator economy is going to be built on web and off platform. Huh. So that's pretty fascinating. Jasmine, I wonder if you can sort of speak to the psychology of a content creator in the wake of what Epic and the stand they've made, right, what they've done. Where is the willingness right now to simply walk, to say, look, we can do this elsewhere unless you bring your fees down? Is that a, a conversation that creators are actively having? I, I think, I mean, we've talked to all of our creators, and I am, a, as mentioned, a creator myself. And we can exist on web, but it, it would just be so much harder, right? In-app notifications brings people to opening the app. It brings people to consuming the content there. And, and Apple knows this. Apple knows that it's, it's kind of running a monopoly here, and that's why it's, it's taxing 30%, and it's kind of like, we'll pay this or, or you're out. Uh, and, and for small developers and small content creators who are just people, there's, there's really no choice here. And that's why you know I use the words that I used. I said that this is theft, this is exploitation, because it's very much oppressive when you're not giving people a choice. Uh, Jasmine, I, I hear you and, you know, I, I hear so many small businesses uh, who have what sound like legitimate beef with especially Apple's inconsistency sometimes in the, in the App Store. But what I don't get is why people think they have um, the right to decide how much Apple charges for placement in its own store. I mean, it, you called it a monopoly, but then you've both said that the web is an option at the same time, which suggests to me it's clearly not a monopoly. It's just a really nice store, and you'd like to be there. I mean, right, OnlyFans is very successful. I think you yourself made $35,000 uh, in, in a month there in a, in a sanitized um, way on Only, OnlyFans, I, I should point out. And it's over the web, right? So, so what's the problem? Correct. So the issue, so the issue, sorry, that was ahead. to Jasmine. Okay. 
Uh, I, I will say OnlyFans and Fan House model is very different. And to be explicit here, right, OnlyFans is pornographic content. That's a completely different consumption structure where you go when you have the need uh, versus Fan House where it's an interactive community where people are messaging the entire time, right? And it does rely more on in-app notifications for that. Uh, that being said, right, if, if you're comparing, you know, Apple to, to the web, the web doesn't charge people to have browsers on it or it, yeah, it charges your domain fees, it charges your developer fees, but none of that fees becomes 30% of an individual individual contractor, similar to what Steven said, right? Like we don't think about charging Uber drivers 30% for every drive that they do. That that would be ridiculous because we, we believe that that's their labor that they deserve to be paid for. And I think Apple needs to learn some creator literacy and, and think about how these creator content it's a real job and it's it's income that people rely on same as just uber drivers steven um your creators are celebrities that are able to increase their earnings thanks to your platform i wonder do they care about the 30 percent commission do you think that you can harness some of them and perhaps some of their celebrity and star power in this argument that you're making against apple perhaps not a legal battle as we're seeing from epic but more of a PR one or appeal to Apple's, you know, senses in terms of getting more people, especially high profile ones on board with this fight? Look, we hear about it all the time. And one of the other issues that isn't talked about as much with the limitations of an in-app purchase that affects Cameo, for example, is that in-app purchases limit a creator from charging no more than $999. Now on Cameo, there are actually a lot of top talent that aren't able, even able to be in the app. Uh, for us, which, you know, obviously it creates a worse customer experience. And look, there's so much to Jasmine's point. There's so many great tools that you can build in the app. And, and look, Cameo's got a 4.9 star app. Uh, we, you know, we are doing our best to work within the system, but it's putting an unfair tax on creators. And, you know, we hear about it all the time. And last one, Stephen, are you prepared to then have your app taken off the app store? You said at the beginning that Cameo would exist in its current form. Um, we we had done that, and one of the issues when we were out of the app store uh, for a while, it, it was a limit. It was it was really a situation. It's not that we were out of the app store, but we actually disabled bookings in the app. So imagine, you know, DJ, you're talking about our business, and you're describing Cameo to someone, and people say Cameo is an app that right? But you can't purchase. Our app went down to two stars. What we ended up doing was putting bookings back in the app. As I mentioned, it's about 20% of our business right now. And, you know, we're a 4.9 star app today. We're, we're happy to be in there. We just love to work with Apple. And again, this is not about Cameo. This is not about FanHouse. This is about the creators. And this is about making sure that creators mm -hmm. are getting more than 52.5% of the work that they do on a lot of these platforms. Yeah, and if I well, can it's really in, important that you guys bring us this angle. Yep, Jasmine. Oh, sorry, I know you mentioned earlier too that that it is fair, and you know from the statements of of the people that you showed it, that they do provide value, and I think we absolutely agree. I think Stephen and I would both be happy to pay Apple something from our revenue share. Right, we take ten percent, Cameo takes twenty five percent, and. Creators can still walk away with the majority of their income if we get to pay our profits. But the way Apple's policies right. apply takes 30% right, of the entire thing. Yeah, one last thing I'll mention. A really DJ, important is, distinction, it, Jasmine. 
Yeah, one, one last thing that I'll mention too, that is really part of the crux of this problem is that the App Store doesn't allow you to download an app off the app off Apple. So, you know, our creators are paying a 3% take rate to Stripe, you know, on web bookings, and it's literally 10x higher uh, to be in the App Store. So it really is a, a big tax on the creators. And we're just trying to stand up for the creators yeah. and make sure they're getting as much of their hard work as they deserve. Well, we really appreciate you bringing the creator's angle to this, which is really important. We've talked a lot about the developer angle. Stephen Galenis and Jasmine Rice, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We mentioned it before, GameStop's obsession with Amazon, a firm CEO, Max Levchin, and Monday.com goes public on a Thursday. We got a big hour of tech check, and it's just getting started. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Affirm and Shopify out with a deeper partnership. The buy now, pay later company, Affirm, launching a new venture exclusively powering Shopify's Shop Pay installments. The program allows people to pay in four installments. It's now going to be available for all 107 million Shop Pay users. Early access to the service is already available to more than 12,500 merchants. And for companies using installments already, uh, average order volume is up to 50% higher than with other payment methods. And joining us now is Affirm co-founder and CEO Max Levchin. We occasionally mention that Max also co-founded PayPal, so been in this digital payment space for a long time. Max, uh, we've been talking a lot about inflation, higher prices happening and, and the impact on the economy, on consumers. I, I wonder what you see in buying behavior and what this means for sellers when you're able to break the payments down this way. So first of all, thank you for having me. Like, exciting day for us. I think this partnership is a long time coming and could not be more thrilled to, to talk about all these things. Um, on buying behavior, in general, we're seeing a significant acceleration in consumer sentiment about saying yes to things. They've been saying no, they've been told to say no to themselves for so long, just tremendous amount of demand for things in all kinds of places. You know, travel is still down relative to 2019, and yet it's growing very, very rapidly. We saw fiscal uh, Q2 was a triple of uh, fiscal Q1 for us, which is you know, not, not the kind of growth you, you normally expect. Um, there's a tremendous number of all kinds of really interesting things that got postponed, like weddings uh, and fancy outfits that were not a thing to buy in 2020, which are now just an extreme demand. We're seeing growth in all sorts of places and which may be sort of counterintuitive, but all the learnings that people have had about you know working out in their home or cooking more often because you can't go to a restaurant mm -hmm. is not slowing down, which is quite interesting. 
I'll actually touch on inflation since you brought it up, and it's a it's a really interesting topic. Um, I think you know obviously inflation fear is something that you have when you have an accelerating economy. Uh, the thing that's interesting about a firm, we become more valuable in a higher interest rate environment because more than half of our volume is uh, is interest free, and zero percent is that much more compelling if you are a shopper looking at a price that just went up. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we were just talking to some creators. Uh, about the Apple's App Store, right? And big platforms have become uh, such key players in the digital economy. Uh, Amazon on the e-commerce side for sure. Shopify, though, attempting to provide tools and options to smaller business, uh, a different option perhaps than being uh, a third-party merchant through Amazon. Uh, How much of this is about that flexibility, uh, giving it to merchants, giving it to small business and applying technology tools. Uh, How important is that going to be? That's exactly right. Shopify is fundamentally about bringing modern top end technology tools to their massive merchant base. There are hundreds of thousands of merchants that are eligible for Shopify installments that we're announcing today and lots of other really great tools, both by Shopify and by the developer ecosystem they have created. And these are, most of them are anyway, tiny little businesses that would never have access to these kind of tools. We're very excited to partner with them. The reason they chose us is because we are a technology first, technologist led company. uh, And bringing these tech tools to these businesses that would normally be disadvantaged is just a huge part of their mission. And we're super excited to contribute to that. Hey, Max, uh, talking about the consumer's willingness to spend in the face of rising inflation, Bank of America's got a chart out today looking at existing home sales where growth has obviously slowed versus furniture sales, which are now echoing that slowdown. And I'm just wondering if you, if you got the consumer starting to think about how things may be more expensive in the future, do you think at, at what point does that start to suppress the instinct to spend all the savings that you have accumulated? Now, if I uh, knew how to uh, forecast consumer sentiment, I'd probably be doing. Uh, <laughs> I can't complain. I think a firm is doing fantastically, but uh, it's always very hard to uh, throw that particular guard against the wall. Um, you know, that said, we're not seeing a slowdown in our homewares category, especially things like connected fitness and, and lifestyle. So my guess is that uh, things are going to keep going strong, although I'm sure th- some of these things are unevenly distributed. Good morning, Max. It's Deirdre. Another buy now, pay later fintech, a European one. Uh, Klarna raised money, announced it raised money this morning at a nearly $46 billion valuation. Its CEO says that it plans to use the capital to further expand in the U.S., where it says it is already leading among merchants. Why should merchants choose a firm over other players that may have a bigger footprint also overseas? I think U.S. merchants my guess is probably want to go with a U.S. leader, and I respectfully disagree. Uh, I think we are uh, the U.S. leader, and I think with this launch on Shopify with hundreds of thousands of uh, U.S. eligible merchants and uh, you know, hopefully millions to come, we're solidifying that position. That said, we are different. The, the thing that makes us quite different from the rest of the BNPL pack is we don't do others well, and we can do others the things that others won't. Uh, we've never charged a penny of late fees and continue abiding by this extremely pro-consumer total transparency stance. And uh, that's something that is fundamental to us and, and a huge part of our brand and our value promise. And that is why Shopify partnered with us. 
and uh, as I said, we are a tech company first. We build things that we see missing in a marketplace. And so the thing you can expect from us as a merchant, as a customer of ours, we will continue innovating and creating things that are very new that have not been seen before. And you know, if you want to partner with a leader, uh, I think a firm is the, the right choice. Max, but before we let you go, I, I got to talk about, you, we're talking about interest rates a bit, savings. A few days ago, I, I was shopping around trying to figure out where you can still get a decent interest rate on savings. Happened to notice that Affirm uh, ha- has a savings uh, account option as well. How does that financially interplay with the loans that you also do within the structure of your business? So the reason we launched savings account, and thank you for considering being a customer or becoming a customer if if you are, um, is because we've seen that engaging deeper with our customers helps us retain them better, helps us be there when they need us, and actually helps them make more responsible financial decisions, telling them, hey, we have tools for you, you know, many cases interest-free, never late fees, never deferred interest, never gimmicks, but also, by the way, here's a tool to save has been really great. And if you look at the engagement levels and customer satisfaction levels among those that open an affirm savings account, they're even higher than our already, what do you think is a very, very impressive uh, promoter score. And so primarily it's there to help our customers and um, we are excited to offer an excellent rate as well. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice your rate's a little higher than Goldman Sachs, Marcus, uh, even. Uh, Max Levchin, thank you. Thank you so much. Redefining Moneyball with the Oakland A's and Dogecoin, that's coming up. But first, watch Clover. B of A has seen enough after the meme surge to start the week. They downgrade the stock today, says the valuation no longer supported by fundamentals. Target a 10, and it's already well off the high from yesterday of almost $29. Tech Check, back in a minute. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Resetting here at the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. JB's got uh, more on Tim Cook today and the businesses that Apple is putting on edge. But first, a news update with Isima Modi. Hey, Seema. Hey, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. We're starting with inflation hitting a 13-year high. The consumer price index up 5% since last May. The one-month gain of 0.6% topping forecasts. Used car prices are showing some of the biggest gains. Bond yields are largely unchanged on this news. Jobless claims continuing their decline, falling to another pandemic low of 376,000. Continuing claims posting their biggest drop in weeks and fell below 3.5 million for the first time since March of last year. Signet Jewelers wowing investors with earnings that were 75% above estimates and same-source sales that more than doubled. The company raising guidance. Signet shares rose as much as 22% this morning and now up about 10% at this hour. RH building on its gains from before the bell. The home furnishings retailer beat Q1 estimates and sharply raised revenue guidance for the next quarter. The company citing the hot housing market and the record stock market. RH shares are up now about 140% in the last year. John, I'll send it back to you. Seema, thanks. 
Now, we talked earlier about creators' issues with Apple's fees. Julia Borston's got more on why so many industries are feeling pressure right now from Tim Cook, not just video creators. Julia? That's right, John. Well, Apple's expanding the options in its ecosystem and building the walls around its garden higher, and some companies are pushing back. As you just heard, just yesterday, FanHouse joined the list of companies not wanting to pay Apple 30% of the payments that people give creators through its iPhone app. Now, this is another, albeit small company, supporting Epic's lawsuit against Apple for those fees that Apple charges. Now, this is just the latest example of how many different industries are on edge about Apple's broadening reach. We just learned this week that Apple is launching its paid podcast tool, putting it further into competition with Spotify and other music podcast platforms that will launch next week. Now, Spotify filed a complaint back in 2019 about Apple's power in the App Store, which prompted the EU to investigate competition concerns. And Apple's recent announcements are spreading concerns to new industries as well. The ad tech industry felt a blow from Apple unveiling ramped up privacy tools that will limit ad targeting. Journalists now warning that Apple's mail blocking of email metrics could threaten the newsletter boom. And of course, device tracking system Tile accused Apple of anti-competitive behavior, saying Apple was preventing Tile from continuing to track locations while its new rival AirTags have access to more data. And the security industry, including Google Nest, is watching the new Apple HomeKit-enabled smart thermostats and security cameras. This all comes as Democrats circulate drafts of antitrust bills following a year-long investigation into Apple along with Amazon, Facebook, and Google. The drafts could change, but they could limit the ability of Apple along with Amazon to operate marketplaces for products and apps where they sell their own goods and apps. So, John, this is going to be a fascinating space to watch. Yeah, it is, Julia. But, you know, I, I like to argue with people. What can I say? I think it, I think it brings out uh, the facts and, and helps people consider different angles. When it comes down to it, there are more web browsers out there than there are iPhones. There are more Android phones out there than there are iPhones. People seem to like the way Apple has curated the iOS and App Store experience so people feel safe spending money there. So these creators have said, yeah, we could do it on web, but we want the bells and whistles that Apple adds into its ecosystem, but we don't want to pay for them. Do you understand that? Does yes, that John, I'm, I, I, look, I'm in agreement with you in that Apple offers a huge amount of value to consumers. Apple might make my life easier by integrating all the different services of theirs that I use in, and I pay for. So I do think that Apple's arguing that it's giving consumers what they want. It's improving its tools for consumers and that also it offers app, app makers and small businesses huge value in connecting them with so many consumers on this platform. And as you mentioned earlier in this hour, a lot of big app developers such as Snap CEO Evan Spiegel, I mean, he told us that they wouldn't exist without Apple. So I think that Apple has a very strong argument when it comes both to antitrust competition and also what it's offering consumers. But it's just fascinating now to see all of the ways Apple is spreading out across the map and moving into all of these different businesses. I mean, even look at the way Apple's improving notes. Um, that's its alternative to, to Google Docs and trying to make sure that it's easier for users to stay within its own version of Google Docs rather than switching over. So I think it'll be fascinating to see how more of these companies react to this as Apple's power as Apple's power grows and its functionality improves for people like us, John, who, who love to love to use all those tools.
Yep, as its power and functionality grows, also does the uh, controversy. Julia, thanks for expanding that out for us. Meantime, guys, want to ride the retail wave? Well, be sure to get in and about get out, excuse me, in about two weeks. Read the reasons why only at CNBC.com. In meantime, watch Zoom. Argus upgrades it this morning, takes it to a buy price target of 440. Says the pivot to hybrid work should work out for shares in the long term. Shares are up about two, nearly two and a half percent. A lot more tech checks straight ahead. Stay with us. Is Doge hitting a home run? Ask the Oakland A's, who recently made sports history by giving Doge holders the chance to buy tickets this season. Have a listen. Play ball! Nothing says summertime quite like a day at the ballpark. And nothing says peak 2021 like purchasing those baseball game tickets using... Dogecoin. We added the ability to buy tickets with Dogecoin. We had 50 transactions just the first day. California's Oakland Athletics Club recently making history by becoming the first Major League Baseball team to sell game tickets in exchange for the meme cryptocurrency. When we saw the opportunity to support the A's and support Doge, we jumped on it. Earlier this year, the pro baseball team made full season suites available for one Bitcoin, becoming the first MLB team to price a ticket offering in cryptocurrency. But the question on many fans' minds, will transacting in digital cryptos be a grand slam across the field of sports? It seems crypto's steady advance into the mainstream is no swing and miss just yet. You're out! For the entire piece, take out your phone, scan this QR code. It will take you to our website, cnbc.com slash techcheck, where you will find an entire treasure trove of content just like this. And John, they're serious about this. The Oakland A's, they're holding on to their cryptocurrencies that they're taking in from payments. Yeah, first money ball. Now they're playing some doge ball. I like it, D. Uh, <laughs> Roblox, meanwhile, facing a huge suit from music publishers this morning after allegedly letting game creators use unlicensed songs. Read that story on CNBC.com. Plus, watch Fastly. Oppenheimer downgrades the stock this morning, removes its $85 price target, saying the recent outage could lead its customers to look for alternatives. We will, of course, watch that. Tech Check is back in two. GameStop's outgoing CEO is getting a diamond parachute on his way out, Kate Rooney explains, Kate, the end of an interesting era for him. <laughs> That's right. Diamond hands, diamond parachute. Love the analogy. GameStop's outgoing CEO, George Sherman, may turn out to be one of the biggest winners in this meme stock era. GameStop announcing his successor yesterday. That's Matt Furlong, a former Amazon executive. He'll take the CEO job at the end of this month. And despite Sherman effectively being pushed out by GameStop's biggest shareholder, Ryan Cohen, as part of that e-commerce turnaround strategy, he is set for a huge payday if he sells. Sherman's exit agreement calls for his 1.1 million GameStop shares to vest faster than usual, meaning he can sell those when he leaves. And based on where the stock is trading or where it opened today, Sherman's shares are worth more than $260 million. Big payouts for these departing executives Aren't unusual, guys, but it is usually tied to performance. And as we saw in earnings yesterday, GameStop's financial performance has not quite kept pace with its 1,400% rally in the stock this year. Sherman joined GameStop back in April 2019, a few months after the company had failed to find a buyer. He was GameStop's fifth CEO since 2017. He had also pledged to uh, turn the company around 
And the company did reduce cost and debt while he was there. But revenue fell by more than a billion dollars in his first year alone. And losses topped $680 million in the past two years combined. Guys, Sherman's not alone. We have three other executives, including the CFO, with that same accelerated vesting period. The question now, will they sell? Guys, back to you. Wow, that's quite a development, Kate. I appreciate that. And speaking of which, as one group of executives leaves, another crop comes in and they're all from the same place. We just told you GameStop named Matt Furlong CEO and Mike Recupero CFO. Both previously worked for Amazon's consumer business. Uh, For those counting, that's now five former Amazon executives in the GameStop C-suite, with their COO, CTO, chief growth officer, all having previously worked for Bezos and company. Back when Ryan Cohen was with Chewy, he said of his management hiring strategy, quote, we use a special proprietary tool called LinkedIn, and we look for people with very relevant experience at companies we respect. Apparently, that search begins by typing Amazon in the search bar. You know, D, years ago, it was GE executives who, when they figured out they weren't going to help run the company, were highly courted by other management to come run uh, their their business, and that's clearly a generational shift now that's gone to Amazon. Right. We don't know how senior exactly these guys were in the grand scheme of Amazon, um, but we have seen this management shift at the top over the last year. Of course, Jassy coming in to take over from Jeff Bezos, a few other of Bezos's lieutenants leaving, one coming back, John. Um, I'm curious about the compensation package, right? We have seen actually a number of Amazon executives leave the company, mostly for Silicon Valley, startups or venture capital firms. Interesting to go to GameStop. You wonder what they're offering in terms of pay and incentives with that incredible run this year already. Well, it's not like Jeff Wilkie is going to GameStop. These aren't like the top uh, Amazon executives that Amazon is losing. But, you know, I got to say, if you're an investor, uh, I would wonder about the strategy here. Is GameStop, even with these hires, skating to to where the puck is or to where the puck is going to be? I mean, e-commerce, you're still selling physical goods and maybe individual software, package software titles, you're, you're shipping them maybe instead of people coming into store. But as we were talking about at the beginning of the show with this Microsoft Xbox move, is that business going to be there in, in any significant way in five years, say? I think, um, I think that has yet to be seen. We'll see what the strategy really is. Uh, okay, moving on. The CEO of Monday.com is next as that company goes public through a traditional IPO. We will ask why after the break. In the meantime, Watch shares of ServiceNow. Goldman adds the stock to its conviction buy list, saying accelerating subs revenue should improve near-term fundamentals. Price target there, $6.95. Bill McDermott told the story here on Tech Check not long ago. See it there, up more than 4%. Tech Check is back in two. Call it a case of the Mondays here on Thursday. Productivity platform Monday.com goes public at the NASDAQ this morning in a traditional IPO as we continue to await the opening trade there. It's a competitor to Asana. Uh, with us this morning to talk about uh, the company, the origins. Monday.com CEO Aaron Zinman is with us. Aaron, welcome. Good to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, this company's got a fascinating backstory. It was actually a spinoff from a prior company back in uh, after 2010. Can you talk about uh, how you got to this point and sort of the space you're trying to carve out in workplace management? Yeah, sure. So it's been an exciting journey uh, since we started the company. Uh, so we started with a mission uh, basically to give people the part to control their own software. If you think about it, people have been using software for a very long time. 
Usually the way people use software is in a very specific way. A software is built to serve a very specific use case. Uh, with money.com, we create a new type of, of how, a, a type of people that basically allows you to use software in any way you can imagine. Uh, so you control kind of your own workflows, how you visualize information. So essentially giving the power to our users. Uh, the number of customers, I think, is over 100, almost 130,000. Is this a small uh, customer model, or are you trying to attract large enterprise? So, so we try to attract both. Um, uh, through our marketing campaigns, we get both SMBs, but also large enterprises that use our platform. We have customers uh, of over 7,000 people using Monday on platform, and as we grow, uh, we managed to enable the platform to accommodate more and more enterprise companies. Uh, and among those that have agreed to purchase some of the shares in a private placement at the IPO price include Zoom and Salesforce's uh, venture arm, some pretty big names. Can you talk about the relationship that you have with those two? Yeah, so we have very uh, long relationship with both Salesforce and Zoom. Uh, we actually have an integration in our platform for both. Uh, so it's been a long relationship. And I think that that investment is a testament to the fact that they both believe in the company and its future. So it's a great addition to our IPO process. We will watch the, for the opening trade. Aaron, congratulations to you. Look forward to talking to you in the, in the weeks and quarters to come. Thanks. Thank, thanks for having me. And up next, Bill Ackman pulls an Adam Aaron and gets weird with a puppet. We will explain after the break Meantime, watch UPS shares this morning. JP Morgan ups it to overweight today. Price target raised to 243. Tech Check is back after one more quick break. One more thing, Bill Ackman, whose SPAC, Pershing Square Taunting Holdings, last week announced its intention to acquire a 10% stake in the upcoming Universal Music Group public offering for $4 billion. Well, he tweeted out a link to a Reddit video explaining the deal. You will get shares before Kanye himself. How? Because Bill Ackman can do magic. This dude stole Brad Pitt's girlfriend and married her. This is Bill Ackman's world, and we're just living in it. Bill did that with $4 billion. He still has $1.5 billion left. So he's included another $5.25 share of this mystery company. No clue what it is yet, but knowing Bill, we probably own Canada. <laughs> Guys, I gotta say, did not ever expect to see something like this on CNBC, but despite playing to the Wall Street bets crowd, the stock, as you can see here, uh, still down nearly 8% since the announcement, though it's up about 1% today. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched this, but despite all the profanity oh, yes. and some of the jokes, or maybe because of it, uh, I actually thought it was a pretty good take on why you invest in a SPAC and sort of teasing out some of the nuances and what a way to speak to a new cohort of investors. Yeah, I mean, are there disclosures in there? I, I don't know. Do there have to be Carl? Carl he did tweet a disclosure. Yes, yes, he tweeted a disclosure. But Carl, overwhelmingly <laughs> what I really want is now for Carl Icahn to make a sock puppet video that responds to it and like tries to take it down. That's what I really want. Probably not gonna happen, but that's what I really want. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, John. I, I've got very little to add other than I can't wait to ask Gary Gensler about this one. <laughs> the, uh, you know, is, this is certainly going to be one of those things. Like the, the sock puppet before it from pets.com where 
where, where we thought about uh, it showing kind of the, the sign of the apocalypse before the dot-com bust. Whether this is a bust or not, I don't know. This is another sock puppet that we are going to remember. Okay, anyway, meantime, Tesla planning to roll out its new Model S Plaid today at the Fremont plant in California. The higher-end version of the Model S will cost just under 120 grand and can go nearly 400 miles on a single charge. Elon Musk also saying the car can go from zero to 60 in just two seconds. Carl? All right, guys, before we go, got some stocks on the move this hour to mention uh, some remote work. Some stay-at-home names are back in the green, led higher by Zscaler, uh, Zoom, Adobe, uh, Twilio, and Roku. Chips also participating. Uh, ASML Holdings leads that sector higher by just about 2%. We did get some new projections for semiconductor sales for next year, somewhere in the 8 to 9% range. And even Fang's getting involved. Amazon is a leader in mega caps today, up about a percent and a half. Apple is the only laggard, in fact, for a while. While there, guys, uh, Apple was the only Dow component that was red in a day that was uniformly uh, green at the open, despite that CPI number. Uh, we kept talking about the bond vigilantes. Where were they? Uh, as Art Cashin said, maybe the discussion turns into more of a story of deflation versus transitory, and we still don't know what comes first, 1% or 2% on the 10-year. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.